Amen. Good morning, everybody. If you have your Bibles, please turn in them to Luke chapter 20, verses 41 through 44. Luke chapter 20, verses 41 through 44. As we make our way verse by verse through Luke's gospel, and we're heading towards the end of chapter 20, and um, we only have a little bit left. And we are heading towards the cross at this point, and some familiar, wonderful, also um, saddening passages, which ultimately we find joy in as believers in Christ as we head towards the death of our Lord. So Luke chapter 20, verses 41 through 44, let's start by reading it and follow along as I read these verses. But he said to them, how can they say that the Christ is David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David thus calls him Lord. So how is he his son? Let's read this one more time just so you can try to internalize it because there's only a, a handful of verses here. Verse 41, but he said to them, how can they say that Christ is David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David thus calls him Lord. So how is he his son? What an incredible passage here in a, the next literary unit as we make our way through this gospel. And let me tell you what we're seeing in this section. What is the main point here? Well, Jesus is making clear in this section that those who have failed repeatedly to trick him or to capture him, their most grievous failure is their failure to see the divinity of Christ. In other words, Jesus makes clear here that they've failed to see the most important attribute of the Messiah is that he's God. They've failed to see and expect and understand that the most important thing about Jesus is that he's God. And they've failed to expect this from the Messiah, and this is the most important thing about him. And he's pointing to, right now, their error in missing this vital truth. They've seen a lot of different things about him. They don't believe in him. They don't want him to be their Christ. But one thing they've failed to look for and one thing that they've failed to see is that he's God. The Messiah that has come to save sinners is himself God. 
They have failed to see this and really failed to expect this, failed to look for it. And because they're not looking for it, they certainly don't see it. And if they would believe this, if they would see the divinity of of Jesus, not only that he's the long-awaited Messiah, the Savior, the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies, the anointed one, the coming king, the Savior of Israel, not only is he all those things, but if they would see that he is himself God, maybe they would obey him. Maybe they would submit to him, and maybe they would be saved. You see, their focus is on him being a political leader. Their focus is on his royal lineage, the fact that the Messiah would come through the, divi- uh, the, the line of David. Their focus is on this Messiah being regal, being regal in an earthly sense, That's what they want to see. They want to see an earthly king that brings about earthly prosperity and brings about success for them and inheritance and control of Israel. And when we see this, we understand that they've missed the most vital aspect, which is the fact that he's God. So what we've seen recently in these sections is that they're not going to control him. They're not going to trap him. They're not going to outsmart him theologically, morally, in any way. We've seen this whole progression. And we've seen that he's in control. He's the wise one. And what they're missing at this point is that he's God. There's no way to trap God. There's no way to outsmart God. He is in control. And see, the Jews were focused on the Messiah being the son of David. That's, that's been the focus for them for many years. And that was never debated about Jesus. Jesus was clearly from the lineage of, of David. There's records of that in the temple. They kept clear lineage records. If you look in the scripture, there's no debate. They've never questioned at this point the religious leaders whether or not he's from the line of David. But what they will not accept is his claim to being equal with God. In Matthew's account, we see Joseph's line. And Jesus descends from David through Joseph. In um, Luke's account, in Luke chapter 3, and we studied this, we see that Jesus, he is David's, through David's line, through, uh, he's a descendant of David through Mary's line, biologically, while not sinful in nature. And so we understand that he is a descendant of David, but that's not the most important attribute about Jesus. And that's not what they should expect as the most important important attribute of the Christ. They wanted a regal king. They wanted freedom from their enemies. They wanted Israel as the most prosperous nation on the planet. But Jesus has made clear he has come to bring a spiritual kingdom. He's come to bring salvation. He's come to defeat the enemy of of sin. He's He's come to make people right with God. 
And those who would recognize their sin, repent of their sin, recognize their sinful condition, turn and trust in the merit of Christ alone, they would be saved. He's come to represent the kingdom of God. And all they want is an earthly regal king that comes through the line of David. And so we see here that Jesus is making clear that they've missed the most important thing about him. God has come to earth to make people holy, to bring salvation and to make people holy. You know, on Monday or on Tuesday, we started a a Bible study with our elder shepherding group across the way at the Nehemiah Project. And we were reading from Ephesians chapter one. And just turn there for a second. Ephesians chapter one. And we see the purpose for which God has saved the people. Verse four, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be what? Holy and blameless. He saved us in order to sanctify us, to make a people holy, to make a people right before him. You can turn back to Luke. This is God himself coming to earth to bring people into a spiritual kingdom and to make them holy, and they've missed the whole point, that he is God and that he represents the kingdom of God. 2 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 2 says, For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband, that's Jesus Christ, to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. That's the goal of your salvation, to be presented clean, holy, blameless on the day when you meet Christ. This is what Christ has come to do. He is God. He's, he is bringing people into a spiritual kingdom. He is representing the, the kingdom of God. He's bringing about salvation. And they just want a regal king through the line of David to bring earthly prosperity. They've failed to see this. They've failed to believe this. And Jesus is making it clear here that they've missed the most important thing about him. So let me encourage you with this. As we get into this, and this is pretty simple, we've had a shorter amount of verses than usual. You have to understand that what Jesus is making clear here is the most foundational issue of Christianity. If you don't believe that Jesus is God, you can't be a Christian. If you don't believe Jesus is God, you aren't a Christian. This is the, the doctrine of Christ's deity that we're seeing here. This is Christology. This is Jesus making clear that he is not just David's son. He is not just a moral teacher. He is not just a good person. He's not just through the, uh, uh, a descendant of David. He's God. And so you have to believe this or else you will, just like these leaders, fail to enter into the kingdom of, of God. He's the Lord. He's God. He's the sovereign one. And you must believe in his deity 
to be made right before him. So as we get into this, Jesus is going to make this very, very clear. By the way, there is a whole lot of, uh, there are a whole lot of sects of Christianities, uh, Christianity, a whole lot of subgroups that would claim a lot of the truths about Christianity yet fail to believe this one vital truth that Jesus is indeed God. Um, that's not true Christianity. That's false Christianity. And there are a whole lot of uh, uh, sects of quote-unquote Christianity that would outright deny this truth. And once again, um, that's not true Christianity. Let it be known. The most vital aspect of Christianity is the deity of, of Jesus Christ. So let's just look at this easy passage in terms of, of its simplicity, yet there's a lot of depth in its application but Jesus is making this clear. They've missed it. And I pray, listen, I pray that you wouldn't miss it. I pray that you wouldn't miss this. Verse 41, we're going to see, number one, the question. Number two, verses 42 through 43, we'll see the quote. And verse 44, we'll see the quandary, or in other words, the issue, the 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 problem that they face, the predicament that they're in because of, of their unbelief. So let's start now with the question. Verse 41. But he said to them, how can they say that the Christ is David's son? So Jesus is starting here. Let me bring you up to speed. This is Wednesday. This is late in the day on Wednesday. Y'all know what happens on Friday, right? We are late in the day on, on Wednesday, okay? And we've been on Wednesday since chapter 20, verse 1. If you can flip back there just a page, you'll see it begins with one day, right? And all of this, now flip to the right, we're going to stay on Wednesday until chapter 22, verse 1, where we turn to what comes after Wednesday. There, Thursday. So we'll be uh, sitting here in Wednesday until then. And Jesus does a lot on Wednesday. If we go back to chapter 20, verse 1, for just a moment, we see Jesus was teaching the people in the what? Chapter 20, verse 1. In the temple, Jesus was teaching the people in the temple. And so what we understand about Wednesday, listen, if you want to know what Jesus did on Wednesday, is that he was in and around the temple all day on Wednesday. In and around the temple all day on Wednesday. And on Wednesday, we see the complete list of the failed attempts from the religious leaders to trap Jesus, right? That's all he's doing on Wednesday, in, around the temple, and we see the failed attempts to trap him by the, by the Jewish leaders. Now, what we're going to see here in Luke chapter 20, starting in verse 41, really all the way until um, 
chapter 21, verse 9, is we're going to see three sections here, the next three sections of Jesus taking the initiative to indict the religious leaders. Jesus is going on the offense here for the next three sections. Let me just fill you in. Listen to this, okay? So he's in and around the temple. He's been, uh, they've been trying to trap him and they failed. And now he's going to go on the offense. He's going to be the one asking the questions towards the religious leaders. And he's going to be making the point on the offense for the next three sections. And then Jesus is going to provide, listen, a series of warnings until we start on Thursday. I mean, just over and over. This is, this is his plan at the end of his life. Ask the questions, indict the religious leaders, go on the offense. He'll be asking the questions, showing them their error. And then he's going to give a series of warnings. And then Thursday, upper room with the disciples until he's taken to the cross. And so we see this incredible um, attempt by Jesus to make things very, very clear as he ends his life. On Wednesday, he's teaching, he's rebuking, he's preaching, he's reproving, he's exhorting, right? And um, this has been very clear. So let me just summarize this timeline for you, okay? Tuesday, he curses the, the, um, the fig tree, right? And then we move into Wednesday. Monday, before, the day before, moving backwards here. So we're on Wednesday. The previous day, he cursed the fig tree, cleans the temple, goes back to Bethany. Day before that is the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. The day before that, he's in Bethany all day at Lazarus' house. And the day before that, he's arrived there. So he's arrived He's with them all day. He goes into Jerusalem, triumphal entry, weeps over Jerusalem, curses the fig tree. And then Wednesday, here he is all day in and around the temple. And so what we're understanding here is that Jesus is making his teaching very clear. Now on this Wednesday, there's failed attempts to trap him. There's many failures by the religious leaders. And now Jesus here is going on the offense. We see, look at verse 40. They no longer dared to ask him what? Any question? Verse 41. But he said to them. At this point, Jesus is going on the offense. He said to them. He's initiating this interaction now. And he will do so for the rest of this, the rest of this day. The point is that Jesus is doing the indicting here. He's doing the initiating. He's making clear where they've missed the truth. Verse 41, but he said to them, who's them? Well, in the parallel accounts in Matthew 22 and Mark 12, Matthew says the Pharisees were gathered Mark says that they were in and about the temple and he was speaking about the scribes. Here we see in verse 41 that Jesus seems to be responding to the scribes. Let me point this out to you. 
Who was Jesus talking to in the previous section? He was talking to the Sadducees. And when he finished talking, look at verse 39. Some of this is a little bit very detailed, so you're gonna have to pay attention here. Verse 39, who responds to Jesus after he, um, yeah, the scribes. So verse 41, but he said to, to them. So he speaks to the Sadducees, their wrong understanding of the resurrection. The scribes say, yeah, that's good because they don't want the Sadducees in control. And so they are flattering Jesus, but Jesus said to them, to the scribes, he doesn't take their flattery. He speaks back at them. And the fact that Matthew, uh, Mark tells us that this is a, a saying to, about the scribes make it pretty, makes it pretty clear that this is directed towards the scribes. And um, so let me just tell you kind of a hermeneutical principle here. You can use the, the gospels, particularly the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, to supplement each other. But you have to be careful. So if you look at this and say, how come the other parallel accounts, he seems to be talking to somebody else, the Pharisees or somebody else. Well, here's this principle. You have to be careful. It, you can't always use these passages to supplement one another. Because the gospel writers, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, have complete freedom to do with this divine word anything that they want. It's inspired by God through those writers. So sometimes they'll take events and they'll place them in different places to make different points. Other times they'll omit things in order to make particular points that are different from, um, from the other uh, accounts. Sometimes they're different events, but they're similar teachings. Jesus taught similar things repeatedly. And so you have to understand, you can't always use these things to supplement one another. This is one of the cases. The details can be informed loosely, but we can't use these accounts to completely um, uh, fill in the gaps of the other accounts because um, they're, they're making slightly different, different points here. But we understand at this point from our particular section here in Luke that Jesus is speaking to the scribes, Jesus is initiating this interaction, and Jesus is indicting something particular about them. We are at the end of the day on Wednesday, and Jesus is making something very crystal clear here. He's speaking to the scribes, and he says this. How can they say that the Christ is David's, what, son? Now, why is he doing this? Well, the scribes were the ones who did what? You know, wrote the, the law. And the law stated that the Messiah would come through the what? The line of David. And that was their particular emphasis that's what they wanted um, to be true, but for all the wrong reasons. They knew that the Messiah would come through the line of David. This is, this is true. This is a true teaching of the Old Testament. You can turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Samuel 
2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12. It says, when your days are fulfilled, this is the Davidic covenant, and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his what? Kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me, what? A son. Now, they understood this to be the Messiah, but they didn't understand that this was not the most important thing about him. This is the truth. Psalm 89, Isaiah 9, Isaiah 11, Jeremiah 23, Jeremiah 33. The list goes on. The Messiah would come through the line of, of David. And this dominated their thoughts. This dominated their thoughts because they wanted David's heir to come and to establish Jerusalem, right? And um, this is exposed through how often this is referred to in the Gospels. Listen now. Look at Matthew chapter 12. It says, and all the people were amazed and they said, can this be the son of who? David. This is what they expected. This is what they thought. This is what dominated their thoughts. This is what their expectations revolved around, that this Messiah would come through the line of David, and he would establish his kingdom, the dominance of Israel. And this was true. But is this the most important reality about the Christ? That's the question that Jesus is posing. You've missed the most important thing about me. And this is what Jesus is exposing here. What do you think about the Christ? And whose son is he? That's what Matthew says, right? Matthew's account. He says, let me ask you this question. And let me ask you this question. What do you think about the, the Christ? And whose son is he? Is it the fact that he's David's son only that makes him the Messiah? No, there's something far more important than being David's son. And so we're seeing here, Jesus make this clear. Jesus is essentially asking in this question, look at it, verse 41. He's essentially asking this question when he says, how can they say that the Christ is David's son? He's essentially asking this question. How can he only be a son of David in light of what David says about him? Is there something more about the Christ? Is this the whole story? Is there something more important about him? And so Jesus makes this clear through a quote, number two, the quote. We see Jesus asking this question. He's exposing their misunderstanding Although this is true about Christ, 
It's not the most important thing, and they've failed to see it. Verses 42 through 43, Jesus says this. For David himself says in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your what? Your footstool. Now, this is important. We see the word for here in the beginning of verse 42. Jesus is essentially saying, is, is the Christ just David's son? Because here's some evidence that would point otherwise. David himself says in the book of Psalms, Jesus says, in the parallel accounts, in Matthew and Mark's account, we see that Jesus says here that David spoke this in the Holy Spirit. In the Holy Spirit. So these are divine words from David himself that you value so highly in the scriptures, in the book of Psalms. And he quotes Psalm 110, verse 1. He quotes Psalm 110, verse 1. This is what Psalm 10, verse 1, is what David said in the Holy Spirit in the book of Psalms. Verse 1, it says, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Jesus is quoting David from the book of Psalms that he wrote in the Holy Spirit. And so if here's what he's saying. Listen now. If Jesus is, if the Christ is to be just a man, then why did David refer to him as Lord? That's the essence of the question. If the Messiah is just a man, then why did David refer to him as, as Lord? Okay, this is, this is important. For David himself says in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Now let me point this out. Why would David refer to him as Lord is what Jesus is essentially asking. In the Middle Eastern um, culture, first of all, no father would ever call his son, what? Lord. So this is one important piece. If he's a son of David, why would David call him Lord? This is what Jesus is making clear. But there's more to it. And... We understand what's happening here in terms of the language. So I want you to turn back to Psalm 110, verse 1, so that you really understand what Jesus is saying here. Psalm 110, verse 1, where Jesus is quoting. And Jesus is asking, is the Messiah only David's son, if he is, why did David himself in the Holy Spirit, written in the scriptures, call him Lord? 
Now, when we look at this in Psalm 110, we understand some things. The English is not incredibly helpful here, although you can see the first Lord in verse one is all what? All caps. And the second one is not. And so we understand here that the translation here in most Bibles, the all caps refers to the name of God, Yahweh. It's not incredibly helpful here because in the Septuagint and also in the English translation, the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. And there's many um, names of God and titles of God that are just translated as Lord. And here, the same, the same thing, although it's differentiated in terms of all caps, the LSB translation, for instance, would would um, have his name Yahweh. But we see here that there's a clear distinction between the two uses of Lord. And what David is, is making clear here is Yahweh, which is the name of God, or I am, right? Refers to the covenant name of God. Okay, holiness, uncreated, incomparable, I am. Never created, Incomparable. That's God's name. Remember when, when um, Moses said, "Well, what if they, what if they ask me who sent, who sent me? What would I say?" And what did David? What, what did God say in the bush? Say that what? I am sent. sent me. I am who I, who I am. And so, but there's another name that's often used for God, and it's really the chief title of God in the Old Testament. If you have the name of God, then there's a chief title that God is most supremely referred to in the Old Testament, and it's Adonai, which is the Lord or the sovereign one. It's the supreme title for God. It's another title known for the one true, true God, right? And we can see that in Psalm 8, 1. It's used there. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth? Both of these, listen now, both of these titles are used for God here, the name and the title. This Psalm 8.1 essentially says this, O Yahweh, our Adonai, or our sovereign one, how majestic is your name in all the earth? Name and then title referring to the same person. God is the only one who has these titles, Yahweh as the name and sovereign one, as, as the title. Both refer to who? God. But what we see in Psalm 110 by the lips of David is that there's the covenant name of God, Yahweh, giving somebody else the title of Adonai or sovereign one. Jesus is saying God the Father says to the sovereign one, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Someone else is given the title God, and both of them are over David. Do you understand this? This is extremely important. God gives somebody else the title that's only allowed to be given to who? God. 
and it's somebody other than God the Father. God is interacting with somebody else and calling him the sovereign one. This is what David is saying. And David and the Holy Spirit and the scriptures are affirming the deity of the Lord here. This descendant of David is the Lord. He says this, look at Psalm 110. Yahweh or God, that's God the Father, says to the sovereign one, referring to the Lord Jesus Christ, sit at my right hand. Right hand affirms authority until I make your enemies your footstool, judgment. So listen now, God the Father is calling somebody else God, giving him all authority and giving him complete freedom for, for judgment. And so this is referring to the Christ. Let's turn back to Luke chapter 20. This is, by the way, Psalm 110 is, was known by the Jews to be a messianic psalm. And so it, it is clear to them at this point what Jesus is saying. And, um, and they've missed it. Luke chapter 20, as we go back here, Jesus is saying to them, how can they say that the Christ is David's son? Is that the only thing important about him? Is that all that's true about him? He comes through the line of David because David says something else about him in the book of Psalms by the Holy Spirit. And he says that God calls him the sovereign one, gives him all authority, and that Jesus executes and is given victory over his enemies. And this is what they've missed. Listen now. You'd have to put yourself in Israel during this time, right? To fully grasp that. That's why I'm trying to bring you into this world, right? I want to bring you into the world of the scriptures. You got to understand what's really happening here. This might seem irrelevant to you, but I promise it's not. Because this is what is really happening in this, in this context here. But can I tell you? It's very, very relevant because think about this. They missed this truth. He's not a, just an earthly king who's come to bring prosperity. He's God himself who's come to make people right with him, to save sinners. And they're blind to this truth. They've missed it. They're looking for something else. They're looking for something else about Jesus. They're looking for something else. They're valuing something else. They're blind. They should be looking for something far more important. They should care about something different. And this is true of many people today. Listen. You're coming sometimes, or maybe the world comes into the church looking for something 
less important about Jesus than what they should be looking for. And the fact that he's God, and if he's God, then his words are true. And if he's God, then he, be, he should be submitted to. If he's God, he hasn't just come to bring you prosperity and success in this life and establish your earthly kingdom. He's come to do something far more important, which is to make you right with God. You don't need anything more than to be made right with God. That's what you need most. And that's what Jesus has come to do. Make sinners right with God. He represents a spiritual kingdom. His words are true. They're divine words. And I'm afraid that so many people are looking for the wrong thing when they look at Jesus. I mean, such superficial expectations of the Christ. That's what's happening here. There's superficial expectations of the Christ. And I mean, could you describe the world and Christianity any better? Superficial, earthly, temporary expectations of the Messiah. The most important thing about him is that he's God. We submit to him as the Lord. And his words are true. He's come to bring about a spiritual kingdom and make sinners right with God. We've got to make that clear. You can't control him. You can't trap him. He's all wise. And what he's come to do is far more important than establish your popularity in this town. What Jesus is showing here is that he's God, and this is what they've missed. This is what they don't understand. And let me say this. This is an important doctrine that you should be clear about. You should be very clear about this doctrine. There's some people, and I've had a lot of people come in here on a regular basis and say, you know, there's one thing that Jesus never claimed to be, and that was God. There's many religions that believe this. I mean, you could go down the list, right? Jehovah's Witness, Mormon. Um, I mean, you could just really go down the list. Every Every belief system outside of true biblical Christianity um, would believe that Jesus is not God, right? I mean, this is even true of, of, um, of religions across the world, right? They would believe that Jesus is, is somebody. Even Islam believes that Jesus is somebody, but not that he's God, and I don't understand this because Jesus makes this clear. Some people say he has never made this claim. Let me just give you some information. And I can't exhaust it here. I wish I could. But we can work together if you, if you have more questions. Jesus' title as the Son of God, this is just doctrinal teaching right now. Jesus' title as the Son of God does not mean that Jesus is not God. It's, an, it's a title of equality. He, it's a title of authority. It's a title of inheritance. It's a term of equality. Bo and I have been talking a lot about this because he's been, as we've trained him for uh, preaching, he preaches to me every Wednesday and he's preaching to me through the book of Wednesday, Monday. I don't have my days mixed up. 
He's teaching me through the book of Hebrews. He's preaching through the, through the book of Hebrews and John and I are sitting out there throwing tomatoes at him while he's doing it. But we've been talking about this, about this title of the son of God. It's a term of equality. The son inherits all things. The son is, is equal in a sense with the father. He's, he's part of the family. This is a title of equality. The son of man, then, is that, think about this, just lock in. He's human, right? Son of man doesn't mean he's subordinate to man. It means he is a man. The son of God is the same idea. He's, he's God. He is, in essence, God. That's what it's referring to. But then you can just have explicit so you got his title, but then you got explicit passages. I don't have time to take you to all these passages, but we read one earlier, John 28. He said, I and the Father are what? One. And then they were going to try to kill him because he made himself equal to who? God. They understood what his claim was. They understood this. And he was accused of being equal to God. Hebrews chapter 1. This is a second explicit verse. John chapter 10. So his title, then you got explicit scriptures. John chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 1. It calls him God explicitly. It says, of the Son, your throne, oh what? God. Right? Jesus is called God explicitly. John chapter 1. Right? The word was what? God. And in Revelation chapter 19, it's referring to the Lord Jesus and saying his name is the word of, of God. Cross-reference that with John chapter 1, and we know this is talking about Jesus, who is indeed God. John chapter 8, verse 58, Jesus says, he calls himself, I am. The, the translation says, and Bo and I were talking about this. The translation says, I am he, but the pronoun is not there. Jesus is very clearly saying, I am. He's calling himself, I am. The pronoun he is not there in the original language. And so Jesus is making clear that he's God. This is the, this is the phrase used to, the exact same phrase used in terms of the, the phrase used for the name of God. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. We see this prophecy about a child being born, and they will call him mighty what? God. Titus chapter 2, verse 13. It's very explicit, calling Jesus Christ who? God. 1 Timothy chapter 6, that Jesus is the king of kings and Lord of lords. Romans chapter 9, verse 5 says that the Christ is who? God. He's God. Revelation chapter 15. He's called the Lamb of God. And throughout the book of Acts, even right now, as you're doing your reading, his title is the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you understand? Like, there is no way around this. The Bible isn't unclear about the deity of Christ. It couldn't be more clear about the deity of Christ, his title, the explicit verses. But then you just, here's kind of the third section. The Old Testament names and titles that refer to God, 
in the New Testament are used to refer to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's given the title Yahweh, Shepherd, Holy One, Savior, Redeemer, Light, Judge, right? So you have all these names and titles that are used in the, New, uh, in the Old Testament to refer to God are used in the New Testament to refer to Lord Jesus Christ. Yahweh, John 12, Shepherd, John 10, Holy One, Acts 3, Savior, Acts 4, Redeemer, Ephesians 1, Light, John 8, Judge, 2 Timothy. We just see this. It's very straightforward. But then let me tell you a fourth category. Think about all the attributes of Christ. And they're all the attributes that you would expect, expect of who? God. He's sovereign. He deserves all glory. John chapter 17. Matthew 28, sovereignty. I am with you wherever you go. And also all what has been given to him. Authority. He's sovereign. John chapter 17. He deserves all glory. Philippians chapter 3, we see his omnipotence. Tell me who else has omnipotence except God, right? In Matthew chapter 11, we see, we see his omniscience. In Matthew chapter 18, we see his omnipresence. I mean, these are attributes that can only be um, seen in who? God. But let me give you another category. He does works that can only be done by God. In John chapter 1, we see that he was there for creation. In John chapter 5, that he forgives sins. In Matthew chapter 4, that his word will stand forever. In John chapter 5, that he gives life. And Jesus says in Matthew 4 that only God alone should be worshipped. But then in Matthew chapter 14 says that he receives this worship. Only God should be worshipped, Jesus says, but then he accepts and receives this worship in Matthew 14. I mean, I wish I could spend this time with you, but listen, his title, explicit verses, names that refer to God in the Old Testament given to Jesus in the New Testament, his attributes, his works. I mean, the Bible couldn't be more clear that Jesus himself is who? God. And this is what you must believe in order to be saved. You must believe this in order to be born again. They missed it. They missed it. They had superficial expectations of the Christ. They didn't care about being made right with God. They didn't even think they needed to be made right with God. And they missed the fact that he is indeed God. This is clear. The Messiah is more than a man. He's more than a royal earthly king. He's God. So we move lastly to the quandary in verse 44. Jesus is making it clear their issue. David thus calls him Lord. He's basically David, uh, Jesus is interpreting Psalm 110 for us, right? So what did David, do? what was the point of Jesus showing verses 42 and 43? Because in verse 44, we see that Jesus says, David calls him what? Lord, the sovereign one, Adonai. So how is he his son? What is Jesus essentially saying here in verse 44? You've missed the most important thing about him. 
you've missed the most important thing about me. As Jesus heads into Thursday, where all he's gonna do is spend time with his disciples, he's telling the religious leaders after their failed attempts to trap him, you have missed the most important thing about me. You've had superficial expectations. And the fact is that I'm God. Jesus is on the offense now. And he's making clear their blindness. And so, in conclusion, I ask you, what are your expectations of Jesus? What are you looking for in Christ? What's your conclusion about him? If we believe anything other than the fact that he's God, first of all, that's not true Christianity, but also you'll be tempted to make him a a servant to your life. You'll be tempted to make him the butler of, of your dreams. The most important thing about Jesus is that he's, he's God. And so you don't make him Lord, you submit to him as the Lord. And it's only through him that you can be made right with God and be saved. You can't control him. What they, underst- they misunderstood, you can't control or trick or trap God. Jesus is saying this also in response to their attempts to trap him. You've missed something very important. You can't trap me. I'm God. You can't manipulate him. He's not like a man who's come to serve you and you can have your way and try to eliminate him. He's gonna stand. And so, do you believe this is the question. And do you submit to him as as God? And also, let it be known to the world around us. Make clear to the people in your life the most vital aspect, uh, the most vital truth they need to understand is that Jesus himself is God. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you for this, really this doctrinal passage. These verses here that make clear to us the doctrine of Christ's deity. Let us be people who believe this, who submit to you in this way, who are not looking for superficial things, but the fact that we can know God. That's what we rejoice in and that's what we expect and hope for as We trust in the Lord Jesus. God, there are so many people around us who would reject this claim or claim that there would never be any evidence in the scripture. They couldn't be more wrong. Help us to have a firm Christology. Help us to have a solid belief system, solid principles and doctrines and teachings from the scripture that are clear in our own mind so that we can share them with others and let this be at the top of the list the divinity of Christ without which no one can be saved in Jesus name Amen